we've we've been talking a lot about 10 days and um, you know different themes related to 10 days what, what we're going to hear from this morning is from a couple of different groups that are um, uh, just kind of I would say sister partner um, movements um, we're going to hear from Mylan uh, about Compassion Connect um, and also from Trey Kent about the One Church One Day or America Praise uh, vision. So, um, Mylan, I'm going to have you come up if you're if you're ready. Um, Mylan and I met each other last May as part of a um, cohort of ministries focused on John 17 related issues, but we all had a different emphasis. Some were evangelism. Some were like you know, uniting the body to, to serve in different ways, uh, serve their cities, or to do foster care or help with schools. And uh, so anyway, we just have become friends since then and, and um, gotten to do a lot of things together. It's been really fun. So grateful to um, the Lord for that. And yeah, he's going to share a little bit with us about Compassion Connect. Thanks, Jonathan. And uh, thank you for just welcoming me here to San Antonio. It's an honor to be with you and a real joy, not just because you're great people, but also because there's about seven inches of snow going on right now in my hometown, and my kids have school canceled, and uh, my wife's not super joyful that I'm here right now, but um, I'm just so grateful to be with you, grateful for Jonathan. And uh, yeah, just this growing relationship as, uh, you know, Jonathan and I were talking this morning, even over by the pool, and really dreaming about these streams that seem to be so distinct from one another in the body of Christ. You have the prayer people who do their conferences, you have evangelism people who do their conferences, and then you have these, you know, radical social justice people who criticize everyone else. And I'm a little bit more, you know, on the biblical justice. That's my um, upbringing and training. But I just feel in God's heart that he is bringing us together to not criticize one another, but to really elevate one another, to honor one another so that the body of Christ displays the power of Christ and the good news of Christ in a holistic way. Uh, and so, um, I, you know, I, I represent uh, a, a movement of people, a team of people who are very passionate about unity in the body of Christ and, and through service. We believe that uniting the local churches to serve is a way of expressing the good news of Jesus, and it's not social justice, it's biblical justice. And, and how can we as a team of people at Compassion Connect help that happen? Um, and for me, that personally, I didn't grow up in the church, so this whole like competition division thing just didn't make any sense when I came to faith in Christ uh, at, at 20. And I looked down the street and saw five different churches, and they all were churches that proclaimed the same God, and apparently that God is a God of love, and yet they don't even really like each other. And that just didn't compute. It doesn't register for me. And so very early on in my kind of radical conversion, um, just me, a Bible in a dorm room, God spoke very clear to me and a calling to unite churches to love their neighbors. 
And so I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You wouldn't be here if you didn't care about unity. What I wanted to share, is, as Jonathan had asked me to share, I just prayed about it and felt like God wanted to go a little bit deeper, like what, what's behind unity? Why unity? I always like to ask that why question. Um, we know it's God's heart, but what, is, what sort of patterns do we see that build towards unity? And um, I've been reading through Mark, and this passage hit me, and it's very fitting as Holy Week is right around the corner. Uh, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus, again, he's telling his disciples, he's foretelling his death. And, and verse 34 just struck me. And this is sort of the first of a, a pattern that I want to lay out for you that I think gets down to the local church. Verse 34 says, they will mock him. He's foretelling his death. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. It's death. And after three days, he will rise. And it's just so stark. Death, mocking, flogging. And then it's just after three days, he will rise. Resurrection, that to me is this first step in this pattern, and Christ is the great archetype. You have resurrection. He will rise. But why? What, what comes of resurrection, death and resurrection, then makes possible reconciliation. It, resurrection isn't the end in and of itself. It's the beginning. And you have to go through death, resurrection, and then it leads to reconciliation. And I couldn't think of any better passage. I mean, it just seems like it's always there. For me, this picture is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. For he himself, right, the one who was just killed, mocked, flogged, and then resurrected. After three days, he will rise. Why? Verse 14, Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace. The resurrected Lord is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. It's clear that resurrection leads to reconciliation, which is a tearing down of walls. And here in Ephesians 2, we know it's Jew and Gentile. The greatest division imagined by man and Jesus reconciles the two by tearing down the dividing walls. And it's not just man to man. It's interwoven here, reconciled to God is equivalent to being reconciled man to man, sister to sister, brother to sister, that the two are inseparable. The two go hand in hand, that the death and resurrection led to a reconciliation that was heavenward, but also brotherward just made that up, word. <laughs> so you have this pattern of resurrection, reconciliation, which all, what, when we see resurrection and reconciliation, it's a reflection. 
of who God is, his character, his glory. We see that in John 17, that, that Jesus, his work of resurrection and reconciliation is the glory of God. The character and quality of God himself is displayed through resurrection and reconciliation. For those of you who have been to seminary, you know that I passed preaching class because alliteration, that's really the only thing I got right in seminary. Resurrection, reconciliation, reflection. A pattern. We get that, okay? I'm preaching to the choir. It's a pattern that then we also get at the individual level, right? So stretch your imagination a little bit with me. You don't have to stretch too far because there's clear in Scripture that as individuals, we go through some form of resurrection, death, renewal. For me, uh, a story that represents death for me. So I was, had just moved to Portland to go to seminary from Minnesota, and I was 24 years old, and you know 24-year-olds who have skills and gifts. They're the most humble people in the world that you've ever met. And um, we, as a team of churches in the lowest income, roughest zip code in all of Oregon, we pulled off this medical dental clinic as the church of the neighborhood. And we blessed hundreds of people in the name of Christ, prayed with people, pulled teeth, prayed over people who needed teeth pulled, and doctors, and all sorts of stuff. I was 24 years old, had only lived there for about six months, and I was the co-founder of this. It was a miraculous work of God. So you could imagine the the size of my head and the amount of patting myself on the back that was going on in that moment. And, and I remember, this is one of those moments where God speaks to you. And this is an illustration of death. I'm driving this truck with the last load of tables after this event and somehow driving and patting myself on the back with both hands at the same time, completely unsafe. And God speaks so clear. And he said just a, a simple phrase, I love them just as much as I love you. And I knew what he meant. All of those hundreds of dirty, overlooked people who didn't give months of blood, sweat, and tears to plan and outreach they just showed up and got blessed. God said, I love them exactly the same as I love you. And that was a huge death of pride. Now, it didn't cure pride, right? We know re death and resurrection has to be a repeated pattern in this sense of the word. But that's at the individual level. We need death and resurrection because it's that pattern. But then as you go through that death and resurrection, right, we're called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Crystal clear in 2 Corinthians 5. That when I came to faith, I was captivated by Jesus because I knew I was faking it and Jesus was the only guy that knew where he had come from, knew what he had come to do, and knew where he was going back to, and he was about reconciliation. And 2 Corinthians 5 captivates me with that call to be ambassadors of reconciliation. That's an individual calling. So much so that, 
deep in our hearts, the more we go through this pattern of death and resurrection to pride and to ego and to all the other stuff that has to be laid at the cross, reconciliation, I don't know how, it doesn't matter what our gifting or what our calling, we have to be about reconciliation. At the deepest, most personal level, think of family, think of, I can... God, work, God worked in me in this subject. I remember once early on in my church days, it just spoke to me. Communion, to take communion in an unworthy manner, often is taught as taking it as an unbeliever. I question the context of 1 Corinthians 11 there, that it, he says you take it in an unworthy manner when you have divisions in your midst. And, and God taught me that. And I can remember reconciliation being so like, potent in my life that I was going up for communion with my wife and we were, had had an argument with another couple in the church. We were young, I mean, freshly married, new to Christ. And it was like I couldn't take communion until I walked over to that seat where those couples were sitting and cried and confessed and repented with them because that felt like the gospel. That felt like what Jesus is calling us to, to be people of reconciliation. And in so doing, in the individual life, we are just like Christ reflecting what God is like when we are people of reconciliation. Okay, so all of that, right, this pattern of resurrection, reconciliation, reflection, Christ is the archetype, and then we get it individually. There's plenty of scriptures that, that point to this. I'm preaching to the choir. Where I want to challenge us is that same pattern between local churches at the neighborhood level. That's where I feel like it is implicit in scripture. It's not as explicit. And so it's harder to teach and it's harder to live out. What does it look like to see a pattern of resurrection, death, and new life, and reconciliation at the neighborhood church level? When we talk about unity in the body of Christ, right? I, I didn't know anything about Jesus. I didn't grow up in the church. I came to faith, and when I look at when I was taught the body of Christ, it meant one of two things. Picture it like a spectrum. It meant, hey, we're the body of Christ here at Community Bible Church. Or it meant, isn't it great that our brothers and sisters in China are also the body of Christ? True. But what God has spoken to me and showed me through the work that we're doing is that there's this whole middle ground of the body of Christ. And it's actually at the neighborhood level and city level. And we don't really apply these same principles of resurrection, reconciliation, and reflection at the neighborhood body of Christ level. And I just believe with all my heart that's something that God's doing in the 21st century for the gospel. I, I know it. I, I, no one sat in a boardroom and thought that up or drew it up. I, I just know that's part of his his strategy, because think about it, and I can speak to this as someone who didn't grow up in the church, who looked at the church as this 
crazy hypocritical cult that had five different buildings on the same street and they didn't even like each other. It didn't matter what words came out of your mouth. I could just look and observe and be like, I don't know, something's not lining up. God is speaking into a divided world and saying it's time to reflect the resurrection and reconciliation, that pattern that God's called us to. And I see it as unity and mission together. There's a lot of great historical writing on this that needs to be dusted off and reread. That there is this inseparable relationship. We all get unity. But you really don't have unity without mission. Unity in and of itself is not a picture of what God has for the world. Because as soon as you subtract mission out of it, you're stealing one of the core DNA elements of the church itself. The church is a body on mission. And if you do mission, this is what I think is happening more often, is mission is happening... And you have all these churches with all these great programs that compete with one another. So the mission is happening, but the unity isn't happening, and it's undercutting the message of the mission. And so you actually have to have, at the core central DNA of unity is mission. At the core central DNA of mission is unity. I don't know if any of you have read Leslie Newbegin, but Leslie Newbegin is my favorite practical theologian, missiologist. I mean, he said, and this blew me away, it may be a little bit extreme, so have grace. But he says, he says, the gospel of reconciliation can only be communicated by a reconciled community. That a gospel of reconciliation has to be communicated through a reconciled community. And we, for decades and, and years and hundreds of years, think that you can communicate a message and the power of reconciliation in isolation. That somehow I can communicate it better than you can because maybe I've got my five points of doctrine a little bit more solid than you. And yet we love the same Jesus. And so something's missing at the neighborhood level. And I believe we all have a calling. It's to look at that pattern of Jesus. There's death, there's resurrection, new life, walking in newness of life, and it leads to reconciliation. And so now think of that at the local church level. How does local church die to self? To be resurrected to new life. And literally and figuratively in the neighborhood. And how does it then become an ambassador of reconciliation? And I just don't think it happens in isolation. One church here, one church there. It's the neighborhood. And how do we view ourselves as the church of the neighborhood? And so then we are a reflection of God's character. And until that time, we are only communicating partial truths. 
we're like through a glass dimly. We're, we're essentially communicating to our neighbors through a glass dimly what God is like and what the kingdom looks like. And so instead of giving some sort of infomercial about Compassion Connect, which I'm not about, I just wanted to share the heart of what is the calling, what's the heart, and, and we view it as, and Jonathan and I talked about this, we use the same language, there's a puzzle, right? And everyone has a piece to bring to that puzzle. And in this movement of God that I believe is worldwide, I've, I've been around Africa, India, God is moving with a spirit of oneness. And, and instead of people fighting it, they're nodding their heads like, yeah, this makes sense. Why aren't we doing this? You, and you know when you're, when you're speaking and sharing this that people are like, yeah, why aren't we doing this? You're stating the obvious. Like, that's a move of God. And so it's time to give capacity and effort in that direction as hard as it is. And it's this call to really be in relationship with one another and recognize those pieces of the puzzle that we all bring, different movements, different organizations. And so for us at Compassion Connect, we really see the value of serving together because building a community of reconciliation at the neighborhood level I don't know if you've had success, but I've never seen it be successful, where you gather around the table and say, well, let's figure out what proper worship looks like. You know, let's figure out the proper place for tongues or not tongues. Or, I mean, good luck building a community of reconciliation. But we all know relational trust is often built shoulder to shoulder, not face to face. And so shoulder to shoulder means going to work together. And what we're seeing is so many neighborhoods and communities that say, hey, you love Jesus, I love Jesus, you want your neighbors to love Jesus, I want my neighbors to love Jesus. That's a lot of common ground to start from, instead of starting from all the little minor issues that we differ on. And so that's the piece of the puzzle that we bring is, okay, if there's a team of churches in a neighborhood who wants to do a medical dental mission in their own backyard, locally owned by the church of that neighborhood, we help them do that. And we own the equipment. We have the manuals. We, we've been doing it for 12 years. Or anti-trafficking. Hey, that's, this is a super dark issue. You, you all probably know that. But if the churches can't be a voice in that incredible darkness in their own neighborhood, in their own city... We're missing the boat. But churches need help coming together. They need a tool or a model. And so that's what we do is we help with these practical models that have worked in different communities, and we share those with new communities. It's all about local missions. It's all about collaboration and unity. We actually refuse to work with individual churches. So we get churches that call us say, hey, you own all this dental equipment. Will you come to a dental cl clinic? They say, hey, would you like to pull in five other churches from your neighborhood? No, we just kind of want to host it in our building. Okay, well, let me know when you want to bring five other churches together. We'll talk to you later. It, it's, it's essential for kingdom work, and that's why we believe that's what God's doing. And so the why unity, we all get it, but I just felt God was giving this pattern 
that, that follows the pattern of Christ, of death, resurrection, which opens the door for reconciliation, which is a reflection of God's very character himself. And we all get that at the individual level, but what I wanted to challenge us at was what is that pattern of death, resurrection, and reconciliation look like at the neighborhood level for the church of the neighborhood? So thank you so much for your heart. All right. Does anyone have any questions for Mylon? Please stay, stay. Don't go. <laughs> any questions for Mylon on just some of what he shared or... Yeah, I think. Are you yeah. are you asking for strategy on how to bring yeah. a couple churches together to do it? Yeah. Yeah. So we do have some stuff. Uh, we've we've written a couple kind of blog resources that are around two things. One, we wrote something because we recognized a lot of people were getting frustrated with church leadership in this process, and they saw them as the enemy. And we were like, Weird. no, like, all right, let's let's be careful here. We don't want to be the um, and I'm, you know, I'm a pastor, and so I, under, I can wear the pastor hat and be like, no, they're not the problem. You just have to understand the way they think. And so um, you, know, you can get my email. I'll dig that blog up. It was specifically like, how do you approach church leadership? Because often it's going to be people within the church that catch this by the Spirit. Rarely is it the pastors, but they're not the enemy. You just have to know how to speak pastor and how to work humbly um it is a totally different language i mean completely different language um so yeah and then we we have a main one on our homes actually if you go to compassionconnect.com a little thing pops up where you can get a pdf and it's kind of i think we call it insanity why doing missions local missions the same way over and over again doesn't make sense and it's all this sort of why we could change how we do local missions in our own backyard yeah, CompassionConnect.com. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Adam. Can you share any testimonies or any kind of wins, like fruit that's come from these churches working Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I Actually, I had a, a story here. Um, I love, there was uh, one of the communities in Portland. So just to reiterate, I really believe neighborhood matters. So, right, we're headquartered in Portland, but there's about 12 neighborhoods in Portland that all do this kind of work. So it's not necessarily citywide. It is citywide, but it's neighborhood level. So one of the neighborhoods, they, they planned their compassion clinic. They carried it out on their own. We were coaching them. And you had about seven churches, everything from Bible church to Methodist to Catholic. They were all kind of anchor churches who led it. And in the debrief, it's one of my favorite just moments where you sit there and you're like, oh, it's working. 
it's working. The one, the pastor from the Bible church that was across the street from the Methodist church, he looked right in the eyes of the Methodist pastor and he said, I need to apologize to you. I am so sorry. We have been ministering in this neighborhood for 20 years. I walk by your church to get home. And often I've wondered, what is that pastor like in that church building right there? And I've never even just walked up and knocked on the door to say hello. Will you please forgive me? Because now through this serving together, I realize you're a funny guy. Like, I really would love hanging out with you. And I'm so sorry that I missed out on 20 years uh, of that. And then um, communities where they go beyond. So our role is really a spark, an initiator. The win is that churches now have relationship with one another, and then they really follow the Spirit's leading of what's, what are the needs in their community, what comes up. So, you know, one group was doing a clinic once a year, and then they asked themselves, like, where do these people live? Because they don't get sick one day out of the year. Oh, they live in those five. We actually had them map their addresses, and it was like, they live in these four apartment complexes. What would it look like to now be the church to those apartment complexes and actually bring the church to the apartment complex? So those are just some quick, you know, uh, ideas of what has, has worked. I even really quick one, too. So Catholic has been the hardest to get to partner because, and, and I honor the Catholic uh, tradition the reason they don't partner very well is because they've done this kind of social work for so long that they really, they send their money to Catholic charities and it kind of, but there's an actual, I believe, a little bit of a waking up within the Catholic Church at the local parish level where they're tired of sending their money to Catholic charities and they actually want to get their hands dirty in their own neighborhood on mission. And so there was a clinic that happened in a high school and we toured the two Catholic priests through it, and they're saying hello to all their volunteers, and they were just so thankful that their people had a place to serve. And then they left, and then I was standing right next to the Assemblies of God pastor, and he just looked at me, and he was like, thank God for those Catholics. I was like, I have never heard that, nor do I, I don't know if I'll ever hear that again. And an AG, yeah, I know, that, see, you get that. An AG pastor who just said, thank God for those Catholics, because had they not participated, they wouldn't have had food for the clinic. They would have been short on volunteers and, and all of that. So it's, it's working slowly, but it's, it's kingdom work. Yeah. I mean, you're based in Portland. Like, is Compassion Connect operating in other cities? What does it look like to get some connections like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, you should come to Portland. It's a cool place. I'm, I work for the Portland Bureau of Commerce. Um, <laughs> Uh, see, yeah. <laughs> um, no, you know, I live in the Twin Cities now, and that was part of a step of faith to say, um, God, A, I'm dying running day-to-day -day operations, but uh, in Portland, so send me out, and be available to leaders in different cities around the world who want to do this is we have a team in Phoenix, Arizona. We have a team in Tacoma, Washington. So, yeah, we're helping groups anywhere, um, but 
we're a small team, Ray, myself, and a few others uh, who are on the team. Yeah. And so, you know, you found this uh, facet, this area to build relational trust through community service. And my mind is just going and going on all kinds of other ways yeah. churches can build relational trust. In, in your work doing this, do you have a list of, like, areas where churches can share common mission uh, through, like, I've seen a, a, there's a group in our city starting a, a common shared marriage ministry. Mm. Great question. Yeah, the opportunities are endless, I think. Um, our involvement has been in the area, we call them models. So medical dental outreach is a compassion clinic. Anti-trafficking is called Adorn and Grace. And then we've done, um, really in the foster care area, there's a huge movement in Portland. You should check it out. It's amazing what has happened with the faith community, really going after the darkness of, and, and the state admitted High-ranking government officials said the state is the worst parent in the world. We need the church. And so it started by getting churches to unite and do extreme makeovers of the foster care visitation buildings. Um, you know, those are, those are really easy one-off projects where the church comes to the city and says, we love the children of this state. Can we bless them? Let us bless them. Um, apartment that I told you the story of the clinic then going into apartments it became an apartment mission where young people moved in as missionaries and the churches of the neighborhood became the church for the missionaries in that apartment complex um, really anything I, that's the big vision is that God would transform his church so that we are quick to collaborate and slow to divide for the sake of the gospel. And so I think anytime church says, hey, we need to do something in our community, they're immediately asking themselves, how can we do it with the four or five other churches in our immediate neighborhood? Or what's already happening? <laughs> There's the biggest, you know, how many churches go and start hey, you know, we're passionate about a food bank, but you don't even know there's already five other food banks and five other churches in the same neighborhood. What could you do together? So, yeah. Um, Whoa, that's really loud. Yeah, I just think this is an incredible opportunity. I'm thinking of ways that we can partner in New England, um, in a New, New England state's like, how would God have us partner? How could this be um, a tool that God would use to bless our region? So encourage you guys to have conversation with Mylon over lunch. Uh, before you sit down, can you just pray over us and bless us and just release just that uh, gifting and anointing, what you carry, what you've received from the Lord through years of obedience. Yeah. And I also want to say, uh, even more so, Ray, Ray and I were talking about this last night. Ray, come up too. Um, we really, this is the streams coming together analogy, we really want to bring 
I see 10 days of prayer and this model of service, they have to be one and the same. Any community that's doing clinics, we see a weakness, and the weakness we need your help to fill, and that is getting pastors and churches to pray together. So why couldn't communities who are already doing clinics or anti-trafficking bring in 10 days of prayer and vice versa? It just seems like there's this West Coast, East Coast. We don't need to argue which coast is a better coast. We all know the West Coast is, but, um, you know, we <laughs> Blas- turn the mic on. Blasphemy. <laughs> I just, I think that there is, there is a divine um, appointment in, in Jonathan and I becoming friends and being able to connect and really saying it's not about organizations, it's not about brands, it's not about, it's about the kingdom. And wouldn't it be amazing if we saw communities doing 10 days of prayer and serving together and it were the same churches acting as the church in their neighborhood. So, yeah. All right. Father God, we praise you. No one else. We praise you, Lord Almighty, King of Kings, the great God of rescue, God who sent his Son, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? That he might reconcile us to himself. Well, we're so grateful for reconciliation to you. We, have, we bring nothing to the table. You brought it all in your life, death, and resurrection. So much power. And so, Lord, may we individually, corporately, be associated with death, baptized into death, that we too, just as Christ was raised by the power of God, we might walk in newness of life. Lord, I pray for newness of life over everyone in this room as they represent church bodies, church leadership. We pray for a death and resurrection of all local churches corporately, that they would become true ambassadors of reconciliation in their neighborhood. Lord, I pray this over everyone in this room, that they would be messengers of this reconciliation because it is a reflection of the gospel a gospel of reconciliation, Lord. I pray that you would equip each person with that message and that that message would would have influence in our individual relationships, family breakdowns, friendship breakdowns, but, Lord, that it would also have influence in our corporate relationships as the church with local expressions. Only you can do this, Lord. There is no strategy. There is no man-made plan. There's no boardroom big enough or smart enough or wise enough. Only you, Father. And so, Lord, we trust you with our whole heart. We lean not on our own understanding. We acknowledge you in all our ways. I pray this for my brothers and sisters, all of us together that, Lord, we would see an unveiling of the power of the gospel because we live into the reality of being ambassadors of reconciliation. Send us forth, Lord Almighty, in Christ's name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.